Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.ae. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Today we finish our vision series for 2021 and we're finishing really by starting our vision for 2021. So we're sort of finished with, by beginning, if that makes any sense. Because there's, there's an action point in after today, we're going to do it. To, to review what we're looking at this year is we started this year looking at, well, when we try and do things under our own energy, under our own abilities, when we look at the things of this world for inspiration and guidance, they fall short. What we need to do is to, to look to someone who has a, a perspective of the things that we can't see. We need to look to someone who has a better view of what's coming before us. The good things, so that we can steer in the right direction, but also avoid the negative things. Um, that happen in life. And so to do that, we need to set our mind on the things of God. And our key verse for the year is to set our mind on things above, to look to him for the perspective, look to him for the guidance. And when we do that, we realize that there is a story that is being played out that is bigger than us. There is actually not lots of different stories, but actually one story that we get to be a part of. There's one faith that we have, and that faith will never let us down. And there's also one hope. And that's all found in Jesus. And so that was week one as we launched the vision for the year. Week two, we then talked about, well, who are we as a church? What does this look like if we're meant to be part of one story with one faith and one hope? And if we set our mind on things above, what does that look like for us as a church? And for as long as York Street has existed, our purpose has been to lead people to a place where they encounter the truth and love of Jesus Christ. And as they go deeper in their understanding of him, as they become, in the Bible uses this word disciples, it's kind of like the modern day word is an apprentice. As, they, as we become apprentices of Jesus, we then have these incredible encounters with him that we share with others, and they get to see the incredible, amazing person of Jesus. And they make decisions. And we see that disciples make disciples. Apprentices make apprentices. Last week then we talked a little bit about, but it's tough to set our eyes on things above because, man, there's all these things that we're doing, these habits that we have and these practices that we we fall into. How do we change that? And we looked at how we change the heart. What does it look like to change our heart condition? What does it look like to change some of the habits that we may have that aren't glorifying God? And today we look at how do we put those convictions, those things that we committed to last week, into practice? How do we live out a faith that puts God as number one? If I was to to summarize today, Today is about action. Today is about what we're going to do. We've heard about where we're going to look at. We've talked about who we are as our identity. We've talked about what we're going to feel. Now is what we're going to do. And so maybe you've been going, I don't know what this looks like in practice. These are great ideas. 
But how many of us have had a great idea and we know something, but we don't put it into action? Do you know you're supposed to eat three healthy meals a day and exercise? How's that working out for us? You know that regular servicing of your car is really good for the engine? We know it. You know, and for some of us, do you know that you're supposed to take time off from work? We know it. You know, brushing your teeth before bed's good. Hopefully we all do that one. I'm just, just, you know. Often we know things, but we don't put it into practice. Today, we want to put it into practice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today we invite you to convict us of the areas that we need to change, Lord, knowing that that means this is the start, not the end of that story. It begins today on an incredible journey of discovery of what you have for us and how you have created us to serve. You've created us to be a part of community and you've created us to be a part of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that each and every one of us would see that we are chosen and gifted and that we are a part of something bigger as we plug into the one story that matters the most. Speak to us where we need it the most today. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, I, had a, um, I was driving the, what was the family car, then we upgraded the family car. And so I'm a car guy. I like overpowered cars. I just like overpowered fast cars. It's sort of it's one of my things. And so I found myself for a couple of years driving a Camry wagon. There's nothing wrong with a Camry wagon. It does everything a car should do. It's got all the good stuff. It's fantastic. But for me, individually, it was doing me physical, emotionally, and spiritual harm. <laughs> like, like, I would get up in the morning and look at it and be depressed. And, and I put a big sound system in it, but it just wasn't... Uh, you know, sitting up at the traffic lights. and Not that I ever did that, but it was just like, ah. Oh. And so I bought a brand new second-hand car because we never buy new cars. We can't afford that. We just keep getting second-hand cars. But I bought this brand new second-hand car and it was awesome. And I remember walking down the street with a bunch of kids. We've been doing some ministry down at the local park and we're walking back and I saw this car parked on the side of the road. And I've only had this car for like a week or so. And I remember seeing this car just going... That, you know, it's kind of like our eyes and tail lights caught across the room. It's like, oh, that moment. It's like, oh. And I saw this car. I was like, oh, man, that is a nice looking car. And then it hit me. That's my car. Oh, I was so excited. I was just like, oh, everything in me is just like, I didn't do that. But, uh, but the, my equivalent of that was like, hey, kids, kids, check out that cool car. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, it's fine. In that moment, where was my heart? There's this saying, home is where the heart is. In that moment, where was my heart? Was my heart like, I am so blessed to have an incredible wife and beautiful children. You know, I am a child of God, created and anointed. It's like, nah, my whole heart was in that bit of metal sitting on the side of the road. Like, my, everything was in that. My thoughts, my identity. Like, in that moment, I was sold out for a thing. How often do we find ourselves in the wrong spot where our heart maybe shouldn't be where it should be? Like, like it, it's, it's detached, it's misplaced. See, in that moment, all I could think about was the silly car. It's not silly, it's cool. But, you know, you know. 
how often we find ourselves somewhere where we shouldn't be. A, a great little exercise to do to, to look at this is, is to ask the question, where do you spend most of your time? Now, often when we see that question or we think about that, we think physical time, like where am I spending most of my time? Well, you know, I'm a mum or a dad, so I've got kids, so I spend a lot of time with kids, and I work, so I spend a lot of time at work. Easy. But it's not about that. It's actually, where do you spend most of your time? The verse this year is set your mind on things above. Where's your mind sitting? I can say, when I was a primary school and even secondary school student, I spent a lot of time in the classroom, but my mind wasn't there. I'm thinking about all sorts of other stuff, mostly girls, but my mind wasn't on the, the task. Some, you might be at work, but your mind's not at work. You might be thinking about family, you might be thinking about holiday, you might be thinking about that awesome, nice car that's sitting outside. Yeah. Who knows? But, but if I was to ask you, where do you spend most of your time, it's actually a great indicator to show where your heart is, where your priorities are. And if I was to ask the room, just on average, where your top four, four priorities would be, generally they would be one of these four, or these four, in a different orders. The first one is, well, it's Sunday and we're at church, so God's number one. Secondly, we would go family. Third, we would probably say self-care, ourselves, our hobbies, our passions, our interests. And then fourth would usually be others, like friends, community. Now, when they're in that sort of order, God first, family, self, friends, that's probably not a bad little balance. But when it gets out of whack, that's when it's dangerous. You may think that you're working for your family, and you, you, it was a 40-hour week, then a 50-hour week, and a 60-hour week, and a 70-hour week. And you find yourself sitting 70 hours a week, and the whole time you're going, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for my kids. But the kids don't get to see you. And when they do see you, you're really not there. Where's your heart? Where's your mind? Where's your thoughts? Your thoughts are back at work, or you're just exhausted. And you think you're working for your family, but really you're working for that promotion, that ego, that pat on the back that pay rise. It's so important that we get our priorities right. When God's first, we can honour God with our work. Absolutely. But we don't burn ourselves out. We don't do it at the detriment of our family and what's most important because jobs can change. Families forever. Our relationship with God is far more important than us trying to, to have lots and lots of friends. And, and if you're like me, I have this people-pleaser part of me. And if that dominates my relationship with God, what I start finding myself doing is like, I want to please you and I want to please you and I want to please you. And if it dominates me and my thoughts and my time and my identity, all of a sudden I'm not asking, is this the right thing to do? Will this affect others? If I say yes to this, what am I saying no to down the track? It's so important that we get our priorities right. When it comes to us as, as parents with kids, Zig Ziglar um, had this quote which has been well quoted in the, family, um, in the space of kids and families ministry for a long time. It says, With children, love is spelt T-I-M-E. Timmy. <laughs> Throwing dyslexic jokes in because I can. Um, children, yeah, with children, love is spelt time. They don't care 
how much money you have. They don't care about the promotion. They actually don't even care about the toys you buy them. It looks like they care, but what they really want is your time. Time. Another incredible quote that sort of, I think, helps pull this apart, especially in the season for those that have kids, is that, that quality time comes from quantity time. Quality time comes from quantity time. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to take your kids to extreme bounce every day and spend money and buy stuff and do these things and and be focused around them. Quantity time is doing life. And it's when you're doing life with your kids that they actually see and learn how to do life with you. It's taking them shopping. It's, It's... going and doing that chore around the place. It's, you're going to go for a walk, you take him for a walk. It's quantity time, but in those moments, quality happens. How many, how many of us know when you've maybe been out with maybe one person or a group of people, and you, you, go, you go to an event or a restaurant, or you're doing something, and there's this moment that happens. And even right now, you're going, oh, there's that moment. But if you were to try and tell it to me, it would fall flat, and you'd end up saying, well, you had to be there. Because there was something about the moment, that quantity time that you were spending where you, know, you did something and somebody like hiccuped and they had a milkshake and it went in their mouth and came out their nose and everyone laughed. It's like, ah, it's all funny and crazy. Or someone half fell over and you tried to catch them and then everybody fell over, whatever it was. And these moments that happen when you're doing life together that actually it could have been a mistake, it could have been an accident, it could have been a great act of service or love or kindness, but what it did is brought the group closer together. You couldn't plan it. You couldn't rig it. You can't fabricate it. It just happened through quantity time. The question that we've come from is, you know, where do we spend most of our time with our thoughts and then our actions? The final little quote that I want to share before we dive into Scripture comes from probably one of my favourite leadership um, sources at the moment, Craig Rochelle. And um, Craig writes, um, when he talks about being disciplined, he says, successful people do consistently what others do occasionally. If you want to do community well, do community often. Invite people over. If you want to know God's word well, read it often. If you want to know what it is to have an active prayer life, pray often. If you want to know what it is to be kind, be kind often. If you want to know what it is to forgive, forgive often. If you want to know what it is to to experience God in your weaknesses, step out of your comfort zone often. If you want to be successful at something, you have to do it often. You think of somebody playing football yeah, and this is not me. I tried, but I, was, you know, I tried as hard as I could to kick the football in the right direction. And I, just, I can now kick the football, but I'm still not 100%, but I had to train so much to be able to kick it in the right direction because it wasn't natural to me at all, but I valued it to the point where I could be sub-average. But I did it often, often, often. Successful people do often what others do occasionally. What does the scripture have to say about these practices of doing something often and serving God so that we can show that our minds are on things above? Well, firstly, Colossians chapter two, uh, 3, verse 2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7, speaks of this, the way that we put this into action. It says this, The end of all things is near, therefore... 
Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. The first question that I have for you is how is your mind? How's your mind? Like when they say of sober mind, you might think of alcohol. Um, and if you're, you're not sober, you're drunk. And if you're drunk, you're not really in control of your mind. But I think there's other things that can make us not sober in our mind. You might be full of fear or anxiety. You might be stressed. You might be overworked. You, you might be under so much pressure that you can't think straight. There's, there's mental illness within our society that means it's so hard to, to think, not think clearly. And what that does is in the biblical place or or the action, the reason for having a sober mind is so that we can pray. Now, why is this so important? Why do we need a sober mind to pray? Well, firstly, we've got to pull apart prayer, and then we'll come back to the sober mind part. For those that are maybe on the journey of discovering who Jesus is, if you've got questions about that, I want to say the simplest version of prayer is just thinking upwards. Just think up. Whatever is on your mind, whatever questions you've got, just think it towards God. But like in any relationship, you've got to listen as well. And so if you're going to think a thought upwards, you've got to maybe set your mind and think about what's coming back. I had a conversation with somebody the previous service who last year we had a couple of conversations said, you often talk to him about God moments, and I've never had one, but I think I had one this week. And he went on to share how he felt like he was meant to give someone that he cared about a Bible study track, like a, a Bible study book, to be able to read the Bible each day. And he thought about it, and I thought, I really need to do this, because this person I care about is moving away. And then he, he, he realized, actually... He, did, he said, his own words, said, I did what I usually did and I did nothing. But I knew I should have done it, but I didn't do anything about it. A couple of days later, he met, met with a bunch of guys and one of the guys had that exact Bible study booklet that he was thinking about open on the table at a local cafe and he was passionate about it. He says, this month is so good at speaking about this and this. Oh, and, he, and he once again was convicted, I really should get this booklet and give it to this guy that I care about really deeply. He then gets home, and what's sitting in his mailbox is his yearly subscription with that booklet in his mailbox. And he's like, I'm pretty sure that was God. It's like, well, if you thought it, someone gave it to you, then they posted it to you, I'm pretty sure that's God. Like, how silver platter, it's in your mailbox, man. Come on. God's talking to you. God's giving you. And he said, so what I did is I got it and I gave it to the guy and I, and I got a subscription for them and I've empowered them. That's a God moment. But it happened in this, this space of prayer. It happened in this space of setting his mind on things above. He needed a clear mind to be able to, to see God in action. He, he was looking for where God was and he needed some clarification of like, that was God. He had a thought, somebody else confirmed it, and it turned up in his mailbox. That could be chance. It could be. Man, there's a lot of chances that happen in the church, though. Each and every day. 
Or it could be God. I believe it's God. If you're not sober-minded, you can miss those moments. Miss the way that God is answering the prayer. Miss the way that God is speaking back to you. God spoke to him through his own thought, through somebody else, and through the mail so that he could then serve somebody else. Prayer is about spending time thinking towards God and then listening. We've got to have a sober mind, not so that we, so we can ask him and have communication, but so we can also hear what he has to say back to us. The passage goes on to say, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And the idea of love covering a multitude of sins comes from this idea of forgiveness. Love forgives. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, not to condemn the world, but to, to save the world through him. It's this, this idea of forgiveness that is shown in love. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean to forget. Now, if I have 20 bucks and I sit on the bench at home and my children come in, my beautiful lovely teenage children and they are literally about to die of starvation the shops are down the road there's twenty dollars and they are about to die like literally our children have not eaten for minutes and they may not make it the next half hour like this is life and death there's twenty dollars there's shops what's going to happen you know the twenty dollars disappears now, do I forgive my beautiful, starving children? Of course I do. Do I leave another $20 on the bench the next day? No. <laughs> you can forgive. It doesn't mean you forget. I want to say there's some people that have had horrendous things done to them within our church and within our world. Horrible things. We don't forget. We don't put trust back up there again because that would be foolish but we can forgive love covers a multitude of sins the next verse says offer hospitality to one another without grumbling now hospitality is great isn't it we know that when we're with people at a cafe at a restaurant or doing an activity or hanging out or whatever it is doing things as families or as individuals it's good fun but I usually find there's this gap between normal life and hospitality that is the grumble zone. So this is usually what happens. We ha- we're going to have someone over for dinner or we're going to go and catch up with somebody or whatever. You get home from work and just like, oh, I'm so tired. And you're going to have people over and you've got to clean the table or you're going to go out somewhere. It's just like, oh, I don't want to go. Oh, I've got no energy. Oh, everything's you know, sore. And, oh. Of course, once you get there, it's all good. As soon as you see the people, like it's okay, and usually the night ends with, we should do this more often. Yeah. But before, before you meet them, and after work or after that thing, there's this grumble zone. Is anybody with me? The gr- yeah, yeah, you know, the grumble zone. It's that, uh, once you get there, it's awesome. But it's getting there, it's hard. The Bible speaks into it, off hospitality without grumbling. It's like, okay, ah. Uh, we just need to do community more. It goes on to say, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received 
to serve others as faithful stewards. What have you received? What gifts do you have? What is your personality? What are your interests? What passions do you have? What's your character like? How can you serve God with how God has created you? A number of years ago, I heard a pastor here at Yorkie speak of a reunion that they had with um, their Bible college, other Bible college students. It was like their 20 or 30 year reunion. And they all got together and they met at the college. The college sort of organised this get-together and they all get together and, and they're all, you know, how you doing and how's the family and all that stuff and man, you've aged um, and all that sort of stuff that, you know, comes, comes up at, at your, your college reunion or whatever. And then all of a sudden the conversation maybe shifted a little bit from a God-focused thing to like, um, you know, somebody asked the question, so, how big's your church? And all of a sudden they start talking about the size of their churches and not really godly. And on purpose, the college management who organised the, the group left one of the students um, for last to speak. And this guy gets up and again, he's just going to share a little bit about what he's been doing. And he gets up there and goes, well, you know, 30 years ago I finished college with you guys and then um, I never actually went into ministry, I went into business. And all the other pastors are sitting there going, <coughs> yeah, what are you doing here? What's going on? What? what? He said, yes, I've done business for 30 years and I've been actually really quite successful. God's been good and made a, a lot of money over the past 30 years. <coughs> like, where's your God? What's going on? And he went on to say, but over the past two years, I've actually been selling the multiple businesses and the nuances of the, the organization that I've built. And with the money that I raised from those businesses, I'm now able to fund 60 missionaries overseas to the point where they will never have to ask for another dollar while they're on the mission field for the rest of their lives. Mic drop. Like, if you want to set your eyes on things above, if you have gifts and talents, he never lost the passion for ministry. But he wasn't gifted in ministry. In the formal pastoral ministry. He always had a heart for those that didn't know Jesus. He just had a different gift set. And he used his gift set to further the kingdom. What has God given you? How has God created you? But what, what, what talents do you have? What passions do you have? I remember years and years ago, this feels like another lifetime ago, I was playing footy. I can't handball very straight, definitely can't catch, and kicking was optional. So what can I do? Like, what, what is left as a, an AFL footy player in country footy? Well, I can run. And I can put my body in places it probably shouldn't be, like in the middle of the ground. I used to get up like as a 16, 17, 18, 20 year old or whatever and, and jump in the showers after a game and just like, oh, what is that? And there'd be boot marks in my back because I'm on the ground where boots go. Like, I could do what I did. And I remember one game in particular where the other team had actually employed a VFL player to play for them. 
And so country footy, this team was like so rigged, amazing potential, and they were absolutely going to dominate us. And the coach said, Tim, what I want you to do is just get in his way. <laughs> so what he was saying is, I know you've got no other skills, but if you can get in front of him, that'd be great. I'm like, okay. And so that's what I did. Uh, for the, the entire game, I just ran and would run in front of him, and then he would fall over me. <laughs> that, that was my AFL career. Now, it must have been about half time, and they realised that their star expensive player is actually not getting the ball because some Muppet is running in front of him and tripping him up all the time. So the instructions went out to take out the Muppet. And so I've got to say, I have never been so hurt in a football game in my life. I was getting punched and hit and thrown around and knocked. I remember one guy, like, I'd gotten rid of the ball and it was way out of play. It just came straight through me. We both went down. Like, man, it hurt. And I remember getting up, and I just, out of habit, I've always done it, I would always get up straight away, and I would always help the other person up. And I remember I did that. I remember seeing utter confusion in the guy's face as I helped him to his feet. At the end of the game, we were all sort of celebrating, not getting totally destroyed <laughs> on the scoreboard. And the referees, the umpires of the game, called me to the centre of the ground, and I'm thinking well, did I hit back? Like, I was getting hurt. Maybe, maybe it was getting rough. Like, it's footy, it's contact sport. I think, what have I done wrong? And they said to me, I don't think we've ever seen such sportsmanship in a game of AFL. You are everything this game should be. They tried to take you out so many times, and for you to help the other player up just shows everything this is. We're giving you all of the points because they could give points. Uh, we're giving you player of the match because of your sportsmanship. <laughs> Not because of my skill, but because of my sportsmanship. I then went back to the coach, and the coach just said, you know, the only player... Do <laughs> he was giving everyone a bit of a telling off. He said, the only player doing their job today was Timmy. And so he gets player of the match. And I remember, I was like, must have been 16 years old, and I got, I got a pie, and I got a can of Coke, and I was wrapped. It's the only time I've ever had player of the match ever in my entire life. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I could play football. It's because I could run. And because I was resilient, I guess just a buffhead, and could get knocked and get back up. That was my, that was my gift. <laughs> it's my amazing talent of being a human punching bag. What gifts have you got? They don't need to be glamorous. You're just called to do your thing and give it all you got. Imagine what that would look like for the kingdom. If you use your gift for God, there's this guy that, that isn't gifted. He doesn't have that pastoral heart, but he's good at business. And 60 missionaries, 60 plus churches are planted because of his gifting and focus on God. What has God gifted you? The, the passage finishes with this. If anyone speaks, they should do so as someone who speaks the very words of God. Scripture. The very words of God. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, he's baptized, he's taken out into the desert. And in the desert, he's tempted with things of the world. And what does Jesus use? Scripture. 
defends off Satan with God's word. Even when Satan uses God's word, he defends it with a better theology and a better understanding of God's word. We've got to know this. Don't take it out of context. We're all on a journey. Don't be ashamed of what you did know and what you did say and if that was wrong because we're all journeying. Use what you've got in the moment, but do more. Successful people do often what others do occasionally. Read this. Live this. Breathe this. Then it goes on to say, if anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. What is the strength? It's you. What is your passion? What is your gifting? What is your talents? How has God enabled you to be who you are? So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus, through the strength that God provides, so that all things um, may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. It's for his glory, for his honour. I want to say that we need you here at York Street. We need people that are good at administration because I'm not. We need people that pick the spelling apart because I don't even see it. We need people that are good at gardening because we need the gardening done. We need people that are able to sit in the foyer and see someone that's doing it tough because they have a gift of discernment and know what to do with that and have a conversation. We need people that are passionate about kids, people that are passionate about youth and young adults, people that are passionate about seniors, men's and women's. We need people that are passionate about getting the word of God out into people's hands. We need people that are passionate about doing the discipleship journey with others. We need people passionate about using instruments and gifts up here on stage. We need people passionate about sitting behind the scenes and doing the stuff that makes this place operate. The cleaning, the tidying up, the administration, these things that that may not seem like they're at the forefront, but we need them so deeply in order to be who God has called us to be. And each and every one of us has been given gifts and abilities to use. And when we use our gifts and abilities together, we become a part of one story. We become a part of his story When we use our gifts and abilities, we're able to to encourage one another to take a step out in faith. And when we use our gifts and abilities, we bring hope, not just to ourselves, but to others. I want to encourage us to think about this. What are you doing with your hands? We had this challenge last week. What are you doing with your hands? For some, we have the ability of using our hands to do things. To use your hands to be able to say, choose me, I want to get involved. I want to be a part of this. I want to sign up. I want to get into this ministry. I want to get into my my home group. I want to get into my school or my workplace. And I want to be who God's called me to be using the gifts and talents. God, choose me on the football field. God, choose me when I'm going to get shopping. God, choose me when I'm living my life to use my gifts to echo you. Use my gifts to point people to you because you created me the way you created me. In the pews in front of you that have been there all the entire month is a little form. 
And in that form, we've asked people to take it for the entire month because we don't want this to be filled out on emotion. We want this to be filled out as a decision and a commitment. And on that form, there's, there's a bunch of things that happen within the church that you can tick a box to get involved, but on the back is also some space for notes. And in that notes section, because we, we realise as a church we don't exist just for these walls, we exist for communities beyond our own. And for some, it's like, well, I don't have time to be able to do this, or I work shift work and I can't do stuff on a Sunday, but God is calling me to be a witness in my workplace. Jot it down. Because just because you want to be a witness in your workplace doesn't mean that you're not doing the mission of this church. That is the mission of this church, and we want to do it with you. We want to support you. We want to go with you into that place as we cover you in prayer. We want to be there to provide support as you talk about those interactions with others as you're sharing the good news of Jesus. The reason it's been there for a month is we didn't want to have a Vision Sunday where we get all excited and give you free wristbands and go and have an ice cream and everyone's like, yay! And then you sign up out of emotion. We wanted this to be something that you sat with, you prayed about, you, you tested scripture, you had conversations with others. So the commitment you make is a prayerfully thought out God-called commitment of what you want to do this year. The other thing that we can do with our hands is to reach deep. We can put our hands up and say, choose me, or we can reach deep. Now, reaching deep may be financial, reaching into your pocket and giving of the first of what God has given you, but reaching deep is more than money. Reaching deep is actually reaching deep. I can't move. You know, I busted my leg last year for a while, and I couldn't actively do too much but I could pray. I was praying for the church. I was reading the prayer points. I was seeing what was going on. I could give what I had to give. It doesn't mean that my commitment wasn't there. I just couldn't physically do things. But emotionally, spiritually, I was here every Sunday. Unless the drugs were really strong and I was asleep. But other than that, I was here every Sunday. God calls us to use our hands to be able to be involved and to give. As we set our mind on things above, are you all in? I want to finish with this story. I'll invite the band up as we finish. Last Sunday I had quite a, a goal, which is for me personally, to um, get back on a push bike and do a, a quite a, a long ride, which was for charity. And this, um, this ride was, was 43 kilometres long on sort of bush tra- trails. Um, and I don't know how it works, but it felt like most of the trails were uphill. I know they should have been down, but it felt like there was more uphills than downhills. Now, there was, there was a group of us that would sort of organise, and most of them for the, the church, and we all set off, and, and there was the people that were fit, and then there was me. And, and the fit crew, crew almost left us, like, were an hour quicker doing this track than um, myself and, and one of the other guys. And uh, I'd get to the hills, and no joke... I was in the first gear and the first gear, which meant there were people walking faster than me as I pedaled. So I wasn't quick. But about halfway through this, this fundraising ride, this guy caught up to us. Well, everybody caught up to us because I was slow, but there's this guy caught up. And this conversation started. He said, oh, man, we must be similar pace. I've been sort of catching. And then you get the downhill and you guys seem to take away. I'm like, I've got a secret weapon. <laughs> 
I'm a big guy. <laughs> Downhill is my friend. But the uphill, then I'd catch you on the uphills, and I, oh, and then I said, hey, look, this is the other guy, and he introduced ourselves, and he's like, ah, oh, wasn't expecting, cool. And then, of course, we hit a, an uphill, and off he goes. After the race, the group of us were sort of hanging around and chatting and debriefing and asking the, the guys there, you know, do you need a hand to pack up or whatever? And we're also like just trying not to die, like it was a big race. And this other guy was there. Oh, hey, you know, how'd you finish up? How'd you go? And a bit of a chat. One thing sort of led to another, and it's like, ah, oh, it sounds like some of the things he was saying sounded like you'd, you'd only know that if you went to church. So I asked the question, hey, did do you have a faith? Do you, do you go to church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. He's from out of town. So, well, why don't you come? You know, if you're free, you're like, we got church tomorrow night. Yeah, if you want to come along. It's like, oh, that'd be great. Yeah, cool. So, last Sunday night, the day after this race, he turns up to church. And hearing some of his story and what he'd been going through, it just so happens that God's vision for this church was what he needed to hear for his personal life. Now, what gift did I use? What did that start with? I told him my name while on a bike ride. That was it. That's where it started. Seeing somebody. Hey, I'm Tim. (laughs) It was sort of the way it went. Sharing a name. Seeing somebody is where it started. Have you got the ability to see somebody? When we set our mind on things above, we realize it's not about us, it's about others. When we set our mind on things above, we start to see people the way that Jesus sees them. And it starts with just your hand, offering a name, offering a friendship, offering a conversation, and see where it goes. I had no control over that. No control. No control over where the conversation was going to go. No control about if he was even going to turn up to church, let alone him starting to share his heart after the service. We probably had a total of 30 minutes conversation and he's pouring out stuff that God had been feeding into him that night. That's the power of being a part of a bigger story. It's not about me, it's about him. When I put myself in the place that God wants me, God can show up and align the dots. It could be coincidence. But a lot of those seem to happen in church. It's got to be God. God wants those stories in your life. And they happen when you serve. They happen when you see somebody. They happen when you say, choose me. They, say, they happen when you go, I want to give to this. They happen when you say, I want to give to this. After the service... At the doors, the K-teams are going to have the little offering envelopes or um, offering bags or something to collect those bits of paper. Uh, You can fill them out online. If you're online, they should be in the description below the link to this service. About what you'd like to do to say, I want to be a part of this story. I want to get involved. God has an incredible opportunity for you this year to be a part of his story. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have encounters with you this year because we are people of faith. 
We don't know what you're calling us to. We don't know what conversations we're going to have or where they're going to lead. We don't know who you're going to put in our path. Lord, but by faith, we're going to have conversations. By faith, we're going to have opportunities. By faith, we're going to use what you've given us, the skills that we have to serve you, to be who you've called us to be, whether it be here at church, at our workplace, in our families, in our social groups. And Lord, my prayer for us as a church is that by the end of this year, we would have thousands upon thousands of stories of how we saw somebody the way that you saw them and that we used what you gave us as our gifts and passions and our abilities to glorify you, knowing that we didn't have the answers, but you did, that we didn't know what was going to happen next, but you did, and seeing that your story has unfolded and we have had the honour and privilege of being a part of that story. And witnessing, lives, and witnessing lives change. Lord, we offer you this year as we set our mind on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.